The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. Welcome, everybody, to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner from Post 9 here at the New York Stock Exchange. Front and center this hour, sinking stocks, a more hawkish Fed, escalating recession fears, what all of that means to your money in the months ahead. We discuss and debate that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Josh Brown, Jason Snipe, and here at Post 9, Jenny Harrington, Bill Baruch along with us today. Let's check the markets. We're just about at the lows of the session. The Dow's giving back 800 points right now, two and a third percent. S&P's down by 100, that's two and a half. And boy, look at the NASDAQ, down more than three percent. That's a loss of near 340. 345 is the yield on the 10-year note. Uh, Jenny Powell, he was hawkish. The outlook was hawkish. If you're surprised by anything that you heard yesterday or by how the market is reacting now, you haven't been paying attention. I agree. Right? I agree. No, it, it's totally, completely unsurprising. And this goes to something you asked me last week. Last week you said, do you have conviction between now and year end? I said, no, but I have hope, right? But there's no conviction. And so... Well, is hope lost now? Uh, no, because I think we're kind of in the same camp. And th this is uninspiring and it's unexciting. But I've said for a while, I think we're going to ultimately reflect back on this and see a long period between June and I don't know now, six months from now, three months from now, where consolidation has been happening. And so when we say like, oh, is this because of the Fed? Maybe. You know, maybe it's because we're trading at a 17 and a half times multiple on earnings that everyone knows is going to come down. Maybe it's because because the consumer's weakening and we're, you know, I don't think the consumer's super weak, but they're weakening. They're not strengthening. There's a lot that's out there. And we just are in a process of digesting. In fact, Bill and I were talking about this earlier. We're still digesting the fact that the market was up 16 and a half percent on an annualized basis for a decade. That's a lot of excess. And we're, and you know what? We're not having helicopter dumps of money anymore. Money's coming out. Interest rates are going up. There's a lot of weight on this market. So am I terribly bearish? No. Am I bullish? Not at all. Do I think you can make money in this environment? Yes. But it's uninspiring Boy, it's at be best. It's much more difficult. I'll tell you that For if you sure. keep Bill having days like this. Does this sort of kiss the year-end rally goodbye? I don't think it puts goodbye. But here's the glass half full look at, at yesterday, too, is is I think Powell deliberately didn't try to be as Jackson Hole Powell. He didn't try to really kind of slam the market down. So I, I think there, that was a positive. And the, the odds of rate hikes moving forward are only uh, looking at 25 basis points in February and another 25 basis points in March. So that's the glass half full. Well, that's what the market, that's the market view, right? We do have the market and the Fed at odds. And you have the disconnect, which you suggest. The question is, who's going to be right? Yeah. Um, you know, some say the market is going to be right, that the Fed is going to have to come back and meet the market because it's not going to be able to do all that it says because the economy, as we learned yet again today, mm -hmm. is weakening. 
perhaps more than people thought that it would at a pace faster than they thought it might. Well, let's talk about the elephant in the room that no one's really saying is the China data last night was absolutely awful. Everybody expected bad China data last night because they were locked down for all of November. Um, on, on the plus side, though, you look at that being the catalyst here today and sort of who's, who wants to step in and be a buyer to catch a falling knife in the day. So maybe we kind of move past today, Christmas rally, good, good finish of the year, still potentially there. And you know what? The People's Bank of China meets next week. So there's some development geopolitically there. I just wonder, you know, Josh, if Powell and company, they, they took the eggnog that we were thinking about drinking between now and the end of the year and they dumped it on our heads. That, you know, the rhetoric, as I said, was, was hawkish. The outlook was much more hawkish than some had looked for. The terminal rate to 5.1, obviously, 17 of 19 see it over 5%. He's been hawkish. He's been consistent. He's told you what's coming. And then you do have those, whether it's, you know, Tom Lee or our own Jim Labenthal, who perhaps refuse to believe what lies ahead. What do you say to that? The Fed is getting its way all over the place. Um, if, if you were to substitute more recent shelter data, uh, specifically rents, for the extraordinarily lagged data that is uh, going into the Fed's calculations, they are very much going to continue to get their way in January, February, and March. We're looking at the next CPI report most likely with a six handle, and that is most likely going to continue to fall from there. The question is, how fast will it continue to fall? And I know that sounds crazy. We've been like, oh, it's so stubbornly high. Forget about it. You just got U.S. retail sales in November uh, down 0.6. That was supposed to be down 0.1. The consumer has gotten the message. They, they have stopped spending in a lot of categories on a dime. The housing market is frozen. There is nothing going on there. Don't tell me uh, that, that the Fed isn't uh, making progress on inflation. After, after talking to mortgage people, uh, realtors, forget it. It's, it's over. And housing has a huge multiplier effect. It could be as high as 18% of the economy. What we saw in the inflation data Tuesday, CPI, medical costs are falling, airline ticket prices are falling, gasoline is down month after month after month, even electricity costs uh, have fallen. So the Fed is getting their way, but they have to keep talking this way, regardless of what the 10-year is doing, which is laughing in their faces. They have to keep talking this way because the worst risk is that we take a pause and then because people uh, uh, let down their guard, financial conditions start to ease a little bit, and then all of a they sudden they have, have to come back with another 50, another 75. Right? We don't want they that. They already have. We don't want Since that. Since the last hike, they, they, the financial conditions have been easing, right? And that's been one of the issues. Everything that you said, Josh, of course, is correct in terms of the direction of inflation, yet they're not satisfied. Why? Because they're willing, it sounds like, and it certainly seems like, they're willing to have a recession. They essentially want to put the economy in a chokehold and hope that it taps out without being carried out on a stretcher. That's what Powell's hope is. Why? Because he Scott, needs the economy to tap out. He could say whatever he wants. He could say whatever he wants. He cannot continue to raise um, with the two-year, five-year, and 10-year uh, falling at the pace they are. The dollar has peaked. Rates have peaked. The Fed can say whatever they want, and they arguably they should continue to deliver this message. But the, the concern 
in the market, and rightfully so, is now shifting toward recession and away from inflation. And everybody knows it. And all of the data is screaming that message. And I'm going to tell you, a lot of the economy already is in recession, in addition to what I just talked about with housing. And I think the rolling recession call, which I think is Citigroup, is going to be the right one um, because we're already living through it. It's not a prediction. It's, it's actually happening. A rolling yeah. recession is interesting. It's, 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 not, it's not as coordinated as you would like it to be, like in COVID, where we, we actually could pinpoint the start of the recession to a specific day in March. This is trickier, but a rolling recession is what is currently occurring. Um, it's undeniable in certain sectors. And if it hasn't gotten to your sector, give it a beat. And in that environment, I, I have to believe um, that the Fed is going to look around and say, OK, our job's not done, hire for longer, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but it's, more, it's going to be more bark than bite from this point forward. I mean, that's not necessarily, Jason, what Wall Street sees. Goldman sees three more hikes coming, three additional 25 basis point rate hikes, February, March, and May. Deutsche Bank, 17 hawks, two turtle doves, and a 5.1 terminal rate is the headline for them. They've got a forecast of 5.1, I mean, by May. So they see many more hikes as well. I mean, the Fed chair, Jason, keeps telling you what's coming. Some don't believe it, but he's living up to the hype thus far. There's no doubt about it, Scott. And obviously, you know, the Fed has already moved 425 basis points this year, right? Uh, the terminal rate, at, to your point, is, is, is above 5% now. Um, you know, what I heard from the commentary in the presser uh, the other day is he's so focused on, he's obviously focused on labor. The labor participation rate has not moved at all. There is a structural issue with labor on, on the supply side, and that will continue to press and move wage inflation, right, which could be a precursor to more inflation. So clearly they're, they're still focused on uh, raising and hiking into the new year, but they've done a lot already. And to Josh's point, you see it, it's working. Um, you know, with the retail numbers we saw this morning, manufacturing negative, Philly Fed was a miss. You know, so the work they're doing is missing and there's a lag effect in labor. So let's see what happens going into next year. But to, to Josh's point as well, I think they have to continue to bark and talk the way that they're talking, uh, but they, they might shift gears, you know, going to Q2 and to Q3 of next year. Yeah, well, that's a long way away. Uh, and there are those who suggested recession now is all but inevitable, including Jeffrey Gundlach, who I spoke with yesterday, obviously got his first reaction to what happened. He says there's a 75 percent chance of a recession. Listen. Yields are down very substantially. I'm surprised people don't really talk about this. I mean, the long bond yield is down something like 90 basis points. The 10-year Treasury yield is down 75 basis points. And even the two-year Treasury yield is down 50 basis points. And uh, we're at these levels that suggest that recession is coming. I mean, it's not just those levels, perhaps. Josh referenced the retail sales report. Philly Fed worse, Empire State negative, industrial production declines, business inventories miss. The data is deteriorating and confirming what the Gundlach perspective sees. I think that's right. I think one thing that Josh kind of misframed, though, is the increased focus on recession. 
we've been talking about this for the entire year. Nine months ago, my mom, who I'm sure she's watching, so sorry, mom, like, I didn't know she knew what the word recession meant. Nine months ago, my mom asked me what to do with her portfolio if we have a recession. As Ed Yardeni says, and Ed's the one who I think initially coined the um, rolling recessions, as Ed Yardeni said, if and when we have a recession, it'll be the most highly anticipated recession we've ever had. So we need to hear what Gunlack says, and who knows if it's 75% odds or 60% odds. You know every strategist has a different odds on it. We need to hear that, but we also need to acknowledge the fact that some enormous amount of this information is anticipated. I know, but and there are some who still in. make the case, Jenny, on this very desk who don't think we're going to have a recession. If Jim Labenthal were sitting to okay. your left instead of Bill Baruch, he would be making the case that we're not going to have a recession, and that the Fed's what? going to stop, they're going to pause, and that's going to be bullish. Well, Powell gave you the perspective yesterday that pausing alone's not not bullish. Okay. Why? Because they're going to keep rates higher for longer. But here's the thing. It's, it, I mean, uh, well, one thing, I was listening to a really interesting Goldman Sachs commodity call yesterday. Goldman was saying, whoever the strategist on that was saying. It was like, Jeffrey Curry. Oh, exactly. And he was saying, hey, we may not have a recession. They were even in the, there may not be a recession, or it may be small and mild. And then we need to take all that, Scott, and say, what's it going to look like? How long is it going to be? How severe is it going to be? Is the work of these rolling recessions, is that super functional? And will it then moderate the, the broad-based GDP recession if and when it happens? But here's the thing. It doesn't really matter if Jim's right or Gunlack is right. Well, it matters. Yes, it does. To people who are taking their advice, it matters a lot. It okay, matters a lot. But you can still make money. It matters a lot. And I'll, I'll throw Jim a bone. You can lose a lot of money if you get it wrong. If you, if well, you I'll listen throw Jim to a bone the person here. who is not paying uh, perhaps as close attention to what's actually happening, you, you, can, you can get hurt. But that's when you really need to consider the time frame. And if you're Jim or if you're me and you manage money for people and your time frame is three or five years, that's where I get into. It doesn't really matter who's right because if the portfolio is constructed, right, uh, properly and it's constructed with the right with the right asset allocation and the right strategy, then you don't need to worry about getting in and out at the right no, time. But the problem, Bill, with that is that, right, you've lived, we, collectively as investors have lived on the idea of the 60-40 portfolio, to Jenny's point, if your portfolio is, in her, her words, constructed correctly, well, that has meant for decades 60-40, and that has been called into question over the last 18 months as well. So what is the playbook then going forward if you think a recession is 75% likely like Gunlock does? Well, I'll say today what we're seeing with this market sell-off, rates are responding. Rates are actually coming down on this move. Treasuries are trading higher. I think that's a positive coming out of all this Fed speak, ECB, Bank of England, all of that today and all these rate hikes. If the rate market, if we were seeing rates higher, then I'd be concerned. But also I look back to last year and I thought the consumer, the, even though they sort of eroded through November, December, they came back strong in January and February. What's to say we won't see a stronger consumer in the first quarter of this year? And what we're seeing right now is a slowdown due to all the tightening that's happened. So just like the Fed has said, the cumulative tightening that has, has happened, they're going to have to wait and see, let it marinate why, in the market. Why, why would we see a stronger consumer in the first quarter of the year if we already know that the tremendous amount of stimulus and the savings is being spent, that credit usage is, is going up, that the consumer's not stupid either, okay? The Give the evolved. consumer more credit in seeing the kind of data that we're talking about. Why did retail sales fall? What do they hear about? Manufacturing is getting weaker, production's October getting weaker. Forward demand. All, all, all of the uh, judge. Uh, different economic metrics. Judge, they, what, Josh? They did it. They, they, they did a, the Californians, who are hilarious, actually did a stimulus payment. 
to offset the, the, the inflation. And I'll, I'll give you a second to finish laughing at that. In addition, <laughs> uh, Amazon Prime Day, what that did was it pulled forward retail sales into the calendar month of October. And actually, there was no revision to October in the retail sales data we got at 8.30 this morning. So that stayed at plus 1.3%. That's probably your last good month for consumers. And if they didn't come back out in November shopping, which we know they did not, and if you look at the categories, a lot of Christmas categories, like consumer electronics were down pretty big, they ain't coming back in December uh, or, or in January, especially year over year. You look at these holiday sales numbers versus uh, 21, and you're gonna know there's not gonna be a resurgence for the consumer. So, Bill, you know, I look at what you're buying. I, I asked for, you know, in essence, a recession playbook, uh, if you believe that we're gonna have one. Yeah, and you're buying industrial cyclicals. You bought Deer, right? Yep. Uh, you bought Oxy. Now, you're obviously highly levered to energy, so I get that, and that's a Buffett play, and people like it for that reason among some others. Uh, but if do you, not, do you not think there's going to be a recession? I think we're going to be a softer landing. I think that's what we're looking for. Uh, I'll, I'll address Deer. I mean, the relative strength we've seen Deer across any asset, across any sector, uh, has been tremendous. It's, it's really about to break out. We see a little pullback today from a technical basis, filling a little gap. But their niche, I think the company has performed extremely well in, in this year, despite the, the, the fall in uh, agriculture prices in recent, in recent months. I, I think Deer is, is set to perform. Um, Oxy, more of, a, more of a trading vehicle for me, rotated some cash out of uh, Pioneer, uh, sorry, not Pioneer, but PSX, Phillips 66, as refinery margins have come in. Rotating that cash into Oxy is a bit of a trade as crude oil came into 70 bucks. All right, let's bring in our halftime headliner now. Find out what Chris Heisey sees. He's the chief investment officer at Merrill and Bank of America private bank. Chris, welcome back. It's good to have you on the Halftime Report. Hey, thanks a lot, Scott. I think what jumps out to me the most is the discrepancy between you and the chief market strategist of Bank of America, Savita Subramanian, who says her target for 2023 is 3,900 to 4,000 on the S&P. Um, you're the Maryland Bank of America private bank CIO. Are you, you're 4,300 to 4,400? Is that right? Why the discrepancy there? Well, actually, the 4,300 to 4,400 is is basically a blow off. It's well above the 3,900 uh, note that we actually totally agree with Savita on in terms of what the markets are trying to get to. We're going to close the year somewhere around that, maybe a little higher than that. Well, actually, we we think that 4,300 level is just upside to what the current view is overall in a more uh, what what I say a little bit more bullish scenario. So I wouldn't pay too much attention to levels. Uh, rather, the theme for next year is the fact that the foundational element of what was just discussed a few minutes ago uh, in terms of 60-40, uh, a diversified portfolio, we're back to a foundational year. And, and you know, we had a 100-year terrible year with stocks and bonds. So perhaps it's not a, a, a very bullish thing to say that 60-40 is resurrected, but that's our foundational year for next year. So in terms of the the discrepancy between where the market is and where Powell is suggesting they're taking the terminal rate. Who do you believe? Who are you betting with? Well, actually both. I mean, we have to take the Fed's word for what it is by saying this is where we want to get it to. They're trying to talk down inflation the best they can. They're very worried about wage growth and stickiness of that. They're worried about the employment market uh, not coming down to levels that would suggest inflation is going to ultimately peak. 
But all we have to do is take a look at some of the inflation gauges and the components thereof, and we could see that inflation is coming down sharply. Matter of fact, the biggest surprise, at least for us next year, is the fact that it's going to come down a lot quicker and sharper than any expected. And the second surprise, even if they take it to the terminal rate of, say, five, five and a quarter, which the economists at B of A Global Research believes as well, they're going to have to back that off pretty quickly. The market is expecting 100 basis point cuts in 24 and potentially 25. That could actually get pulled a lot farther forward, closer to mid, dare we say, you know, the second half of 23, which ultimately becomes a tailwind for equities in our opinion. So you are then decidedly in the camp that the Fed is more, from here forward, from here forward, uh, all talk, little action. Well, I think they're going to act. Uh, it's pretty clear that they want to take this to five, five and a quarter into March, March end. Unfortunately, they have been saying, to your point, that they're going to stay on a pause for longer. Uh, the data will likely showcase to them that they can't. Um, it's very difficult to create a so-called soft landing. Now, this time is slightly different. Consumers a lot healthier going into this recession. Corporations' average debt on their balance sheet is almost double what it typically is. So they've done the right thing in their capital structure. So could they smooth out this recession versus the, the, the pre-pandemic ones? Yes. But unfortunately, housing means a lot to this economy. Goods-based manufacturing means a lot to this economy, and so is the world. So the data is going to start to go against them a little quicker. quicker. And you know, I think Jeffrey Gunluck said it correct uh, yesterday, where yields have come down. They're telling us that this could actually be a little bit harder landing than what the market is telling. But wait, I mean, you, you just said that, but you also said that you see the Fed going to five to five and a quarter. So you can't have it both ways. Exactly. And, and I think that's why markets are so confusing right now. That's why data is completely mixed. And the further we get into late cycle, uh, the Fed is following the path of the employment market right now. And they're trying to talk down inflation based upon employment because of where unemployment is. And the window is open for them to raise rates because we're still at so-called 7% inflation, if you will, looking backward. Um, and then they're going to have to toggle pretty quickly, at least in our opinion. That's why when we suggest that bonds outperforming the first half and equities in the second half, very difficult to time that. So we want to be as diversified as we can. We want to be broadly neutral starting the year so you're not moving in and out all over the place. And selection's got you, and this panel knows it better than anybody. Selection is going to matter a lot in 23, much more than what we've seen in recent years. Chris, we'll leave it there. I appreciate it very much. That's Chris Heisey joining us today. Coming up, Disney's the worst stock in the Dow today. One member of the committee today is making a move on it as well. We reveal the trade and we'll, of course, debate it. Dow is down by more than 800 points at the moment. S&P 500 down just about two and a half percent. Halftime is back in two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises.
B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, welcome back to the Halftime Report. Disney is the worst performing stock in the Dow today, on pace for its worst year since 1974. However, Bill Baruch is a buyer. Uh, okay, so you bought it two days ago, yes. right? Yep. It's a new position for you. It is. It comes on the same day now, today, that J.P. Morgan says it's a top pick. However, Cowan, did you see that note today? I saw it. I'm going to quote from it for those who haven't. The Fox deal doubled Disney's invested capital and was a significant strategic error that cannot be undone. That's pretty scathing. They went deeper. They, they got harsh on that. And it, you know what, though? It's Fox. Nobody likes the Fox deal. It's okay. also four years old. Yes, yes. It, he, well, here's, here's the thing. Disney is the ultimate storytelling brand. And Eigner's return is just within that narrative. And we're already seeing that story being told with J.P. Morgan making its top pick in 2023. Now, this was also a rotation for me because I owned a Netflix. I sold Netflix against gap resistance. Netflix is a more expensive company with a 34 forward P.E. Disney cheaper at a 24 forward P.E. Well, we'll, get to net, we'll get to Netflix yeah. in a second, too. But look at that. It's down twice but as much. Yeah. Let's stay on the Disney story. Yeah, yeah. but their, their free cash flow is set to accelerate significantly in the coming years. So I like that. And then they also have the revenue growth. So I think it's a really good story here right now. Uh, plus, I'm... I, I'm at heart a technical guy, and there's a beautiful technical pattern that's building out there, too. Okay. Um, Josh, I'm curious, you know, what, what do you see when you, you look at the technicals and you respect them, I know. What do you see when, when you take a look at Disney? Um, it's most likely going to have to challenge that 89, uh, 90 level and will probably fail. But, I mean, if you're if – you're, Look, if you're, uh, let me put it to you this way. If you're an investor, throw the technicals out because what you're looking for, if you're a long-term investor, you believe it, uh, that there'll be cash flow growth, there'll be earnings growth, there'll be dividends, buybacks, then you want the price lower. It's two entirely separate disciplines. If you're trading, um, I mean, it, I, I just don't see, it's like a falling knife strategy, I guess. I, I don't really know. Uh, I would wait for it to stabilize and it just isn't. And there's nothing in here telling me that we've, we've seen the, re, the successful retest that we would need to see at that level. By the way, that level okay. is uh, from early November. So we'll, uh, we'll see what at 86.75 was your low on November 9th. Uh, it took a little while. The stock couldn't break above 100. Um, that looks like the ceiling. So you're buying it here. I guess you're betting the 86.75 will hold and you want to trade it for 8 or 9% back up to that old high before there's resistance. I suppose it can be done. I don't love the risk reward there. 
Jenny, you own it too. Here, here's the fundamental side, which is earnings growth is 17%, 29%, and 18% in the next three years. Comps are low, earnings have been beaten up, and so as we start to get past this, this unpopularity, this kind of hate fest that poor Disney's had hanging over it, those are going to be really compelling earnings growth numbers. And you know what? I read an interesting study recently that Ibbotson did on popular and unpopular stocks and the popularity premium. This is a stock that actually, this is a company Jenny. that has the potential, hold on, Je that has the potential to get a popularity premium back. So. Josh, people are going to forget about this year. When they see 17%, 20-plus percent earnings growth, they're going to forget about this, and they're going to start to love Disney again. They're not going to see that. be ahead of that. They're not going to see okay. that. Okay. They're not going to see that. They're not going to see it. It's a, t tell me a recession where Disney was a good buy going headlong into it. Name one. Okay, but here's what I was saying before. A lot of this is already priced in, and that gets into the whole point you were making, Josh, about rolling recessions. Different industries, different stocks have, have experienced- Travel is next year. The travel recession travel? is next year. The year-over-year year comps for Disney no, 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 Josh, in the, the parks travel business recession was two years are going ago. to be horrific. No. Josh, the travel recession was no, no, two no. years ago. Look at what predictions are for JetBlue's earnings. I, mean, well, I know we'll get to that later. But look at what their predictions JetBlue are for JetBlue got year. downgraded today, by the way. Uh, we'll, we'll get to that later. But to, to Josh's point, is this really a stock on the top of your list if you think we're going to have a recession? I think this is where the share price has already anticipated a recession, already anticipated a really weak consumer. If you read further it's into those It's 51 times trailing. Times trailing. Josh, they're going to get what, back in two or three years to saying? 10 times earnings. If you look at three years, four years down the road, you've got a stock with $10 of earnings in it. That would put it at nine four, times. Four Let's years? say it takes some time to get there, but you okay. know better than any... Okay, but again, we have different time frames. I am so happy to sit back and be patient. I am so happy to say, I don't care if we have a recession next year because I think that this stock has already anticipated okay. that. It's the same reason I bought some retail stocks. The share price anticipated terrible scenarios. Not everything moves at the same time. Not everything bottoms at the same time. And this is I one smell that I think is already- I smell another bet. I'll tell you what. Okay, I was I'll trying to go there. I'll you make you it, but listen, everyone gives me grief because I haven't given you your hamburger yet. That's on you. And you you know it. So you make that bet, but this you need to let be, one of us actually close it all, out. First of all, it was a cheeseburger, and now it's going to be a double cheeseburger. Okay? Bring it and my, on. And my, <laughs> my favorite burger in New York is Bobby Vans, and it's not on the menu. But they make it okay, for me. So, they grind so up all the porterhouse so from the day before, me and year. they make a great burger. <laughs> all right. No, no, no. Um, I'm gonna, I, I will be a buyer of Disney. I will be a buyer of Disney when it breaks that 86.75 level. Okay. I think I'm going to have an opportunity at this thing, low 80s, high 70s, um, and, and, and if I get that opportunity, A, I'm going to pull the trigger, um, but B, we're going out. Okay, and so we're going to mark it, December we marked 15th, we marked 2023. It. Our viewers marked it, we marked it, <laughs> the chefs at Bobby Vans have marked it, if now not, Jenny's we'll make hungry. sure they marked it. I only, I only go the to the Park Avenue location. Uh, all right, well, you may, we may drag you down here. <laughs> Wall Street is unveiling their top stock picks for next year. That's been going on now for a couple of weeks. We have more of them coming up next because there's ownership here on the show today. Plus, the investment committee is ready to grade your trade. Uh, and now maybe more important than ever, too, because given how unsettled the market is, a lot of you have been buying some stocks, need some advice on what you've done. We'll answer your questions coming up. You can send an email to us, askhalftime at cnbc.com. You can tweet us. Halftime's back in just two minutes.
The Biden administration this week announcing a $3.7 billion investment to bolster the country's carbon dioxide removal industry. Through four initiatives, the investment will fund research, develop technologies to capture carbon from the Earth's atmosphere, and push to commercialize carbon management. It's all part of a goal to reach a net zero emissions economy by 2050. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Christina Partsnevelis, and here's your CNBC News update at this hour. The White House announcing plans today to push back against a possible winter wave of COVID infections. The Biden administration says it will offer more free at-home COVID tests and boost uh, vaccination efforts as well. While public health officials don't expect a COVID surge as big as last winter's, cases and deaths have increased since Thanksgiving. As COVID remains a threat, a new report is looking back on information failures from the beginning of the pandemic. A just declassified report from the House Intel Committee says the United States should have spied on Chinese health officials to learn more about COVID and react more quickly. The report also says U.S. intelligence agencies have failed to fix shortcomings and aren't prepared for the next pandemic. And the Senate passed a bill late last night that will bar federal employees from using TikTok on government devices. This bill, which still needs a House vote, comes as states across the country are banning the Chinese-owned video app from state employee devices. Scott, back over to you. All right, Christina, thank you. That's Christina Partsinevelos. Let's throw up shares of Netflix because we alluded to it in our prior conversation with Disney. It is a terrible day for those shares, down some 9%. Uh, Jason, you own it advertising concerns. It's Netflix today uh, yep. and maybe some of, you know, Disney is, is wrapped up in that. Uh, Snap is down big. Just wanted to bring it up because, uh, you know, you must be watching yep. this with a little bit of concern, I, I'd imagine. For sure. Absolutely, Scott. So, I mean, the Netflix story is really them having to return some capital for, you know, unforcerned reasons on, on just advertising uh, numbers aren't looking the way they need to look. So they're returning capital, which is never a good thing uh, to see. Now, as it relates to just the broader story, I think their focus on profitability is continues to be a positive for them. There's some some class foe generation again, and, and I think they're going to figure out this password sharing issue. So I continue to like the pure, the, the pure play in streaming, and that's why I continue to like Netflix here. But obviously the news this morning is concerning. Yeah. Let's rip through some of these 2023 picks. Uh, they keep coming out, and uh, we do have ownership here today. Northrop Grumman, uh, 2023 pick. Uh, Morgan Stanley, Jenny. Price target goes to 626 from 585. It's yours, right? Yes. So this is kind of my opposite stance from what I just explained on Disney. We've owned this for years. We initially bought it when it had an 11 times multiple. It's trading at 23 times now. Mm-hmm. Obviously, defense spending is going to go th- is going to grow and be resilient and increase. But this is now a little expensive for us. So we might trim it. We might sell it. We're not quite there yet because we think that there's a little bit of a ways to go. But this is where, you know, like I don't want to own it because it's already had its move. 
I don't want to own it as much. You want to own things before, they, before they're popular. This is popular. It doesn't get more popular than this. Bill, you own it too. We own it. We have good exposure in the defense space, along with Raytheon. It's if I were to cut one of them to reduce, it would be Northrop. Uh, but the relative strength in, that's that's in there right now is, is tremendous. I like I like how the, the stock and the company have traded, and the defense is, is only going to get more attention. Why, why why is Northrop the one you would choose if it was between Northrop and Raytheon? I, I think with, with what Jenny had hit on, it's it's I think it's more in the front and center as uh, people are buying it. Uh, for the story, for the narrative, and Raytheon less so. Uh, Raytheon we've owned for longer. We, we added, added Northrop earlier this year. Okay. Uh, Bank of America, uh, Wells Fargo, Mayo says it's a top pick. Target 52. Jason, you own BAC. Yep. So on BAC, I mean, for me, obviously the last quarter it was a net interest margin story it was up 24%. I think banks are concerning on some level. I showed, I sold XLF last week. You know, but if I look at banking fees as an example, it was down 46% in the quarter. That won't be the story forever. You know, and, and, and if you look at a also average loan growth continuing to grow at 12%, you know, that, that, that might also help them going into next year. So let's see. Let's play it out. It's one of the individual money centers that I could decide to keep. Let's take Uber. Bank of America, Josh, says it's a top pick. The price target goes to 43 for them. They urge you to buy it now. You own it. Yeah, and I, and I added to it recently. Um, mm-hmm. this, is this, this is like the most frustrating stock for me because I can't understand why it's not treated better. I understand the whole narrative that people don't want money losing companies, et cetera, et cetera. They're cash flow positive. They'll be earnings positive. Um, they got through an entire recession. Uh, there were questions about the delivery business. That became the engine that got them through uh, COVID. Now they've switched gears. Everyone's back to experiences, being out and about. Even business travel is back, believe it or not. Um, and Uber benefits there. So now they have everything happening in their favor at once. You've got the last vestiges of some of the labor issues um, getting wrapped up in the next year or so, probably. Um, politically, none of that stuff is getting anyone what they want. So probably not going to see much of a change in their business model there. And the stock just acts terribly. And I think that's a function of it just being classified amongst this crop of names that were no earnings names. And it's just not going to be the case going forward. Uh, There's even a divergence in Uber's results versus Lyft. Um, Because again, they've got other businesses that have growth, like Drizzly, like Freight, um, International, things that Lyft just can't can't do. So I think at some point that's going that that's going to make a difference, and this stock is going to start getting treated better. I don't know when that's going to be. It's definitely not on a day like today. Um, yeah. But uh, I'm, I'm yeah. an investor here, not a trader. Got you. Yeah, tough day. Four percent, tough day overall in the market, as you know. Up next, we are grading your trades, answering your questions about specific trades that you have made. You can send an email to us. Ask halftime at cnbc.com. Tweet us. Halftime's back in just two minutes. All right, it's shaping up to be quite a nasty day in the market. You see the Dow's down 830, so we've given it back about 1,000 points or so since the Powell uh, decision and the news conference as well. Many of you making trades. You need some advice, which is why it's time for Grade My Trade. All right, Jenny, you get the first one, okay? It's from John. It's on Devon Energy. Cost averaged up from 49 to 59. Wants to know if he should add more. 
You own it, so what do you think? Mm -hmm. Well, I think as a trade, you've done really well. Particularly, you've got a positive return in a negative market, so good job there. If you want to turn your trade into an investment, keep holding this. One of the things Bill and I were talking about earlier is that most of the oil stocks are pricing in $50 oil. I think it's $60, Devin's pricing in about $60 oil. So if you believe that oil's going to stay higher, you have a lot of money still to make here, so I would hold on to it, and I would increase it. All right, Bill, you're up next. Brandon, all right, purchased shares of Amazon after the pullback on the last report. Average price of $95.94. What would you grade the trade, and what are your thoughts on Amazon going forward in the current rate environment? Why don't you take it? I, I like the trade at 95. I mean, you've obviously bought it here this, this fourth quarter. It's, uh, it's a good, I think, value down there. But here's the thing. Um, people are concerned about the, the retailer or the consumer. But that retail business has a network effect and allegiance for that prime membership. I like that. Um, we're underweight the stock relative to how it is in the S&P. But one big story is AWS. And the 30% of operating margins growth is something that I, I think is going to continue to be a big story here and continue to grow. Okay. Jason Snipe, you get it. It's Jim from Wisconsin and says, I bought Shopify, $23.94 a share. What do I do here? Do I let it ride? Do I take some gains? What do you think? Yeah, so that's a great trade here. Obviously, Shopify now is around $32, $33. So for me, as, as you kind of look at the macro backdrop, look, they build a sustainable uh, base through the pandemic. But, you know, as I alluded to, as you, as you look at the macro backdrop going forward, I would look to cut some of it loose. Um, you know, because I think there will be some deceleration, especially for small businesses. So I, I would take some, something off the table. Just real quick, uh, Bill Baruch, Shopify. Didn't you sell that recently? Yes, we did. A lot of overhead. I thought, so. I thought I remembered that. So you take the other side of this. What do you think? What would you? What would your grade be then if you sold out of it? I, I, I like the entry in it. I, I think the upside is very limited. Obviously, with the with the interest rates right here, if we see rates rise, but again, I, I, I think we're going to we're going to see a, a better consumer in the first quarter of next year. So I think there's headwinds from a price standpoint, from a rate standpoint, but I, I think there's definitely some upside. Um, but if if we can get through 40, 40, 50 bucks. All right, let's jump ahead to the Kinder Morgan one, guys. Uh, it's the last one, Lonnie Starkman. Okay, uh, Jenny, for you. Lonnie uh, bought it at $18.16, right? So the stock's down just marginally uh, since then. You own it. What do you do? I think you, you hold do? this. But just to be really clear, of all the stocks that really aren't trades that are really just long-term and the whole point of owning them is to scrape the income, that's Kinder. They don't, it doesn't matter if oil or gas prices are up or down. They're, pi they're pumping the... the um, commodities through their pipelines, they're collecting the, the cash from it, and they're paying it out to the shareholders. So just hang on to this and collect that cash, which is so wonderful to have in this kind of environment. All right. We've called it a stock picker's market, and uh, <laughs> that's, in fact, what all y'all are doing. So keep your trades coming in, please. Send an email to askhalftime at cnbc.com. The investment committee is going to grade them. You can tweet us, too, at Halftime Report. Up next, We'll hit some of the biggest analyst calls on the street today. A number of them are in the travel and leisure space is getting hit very hard today. We're back right after this. Let's do some of our calls of the day. We alluded to it a little bit earlier when Jenny uh, had mentioned JetBlue. I said it was downgraded. Uh, that comes from Cowan today to market perform. Jenny from outperform target to nine bucks. Yeah. Seven dollars, less than seven dollars stock now. Man, that's a pretty nice upside, isn't it? Seven bucks to nine? If you think it's going there. I think it is. Why? I think what the streets, what a lot of people are missing is how much jet fuel price. Okay, first of all, getting back to Josh's, the recession's coming. I don't think it is on airline travel. I think there's tremendous pent-up demand. I know I'm traveling professionally as much as I am personally. So I don't think that really slows. So I think earnings hold up on that. But 
Jet fuel's down like 21% in the last month, and I think that that's not accounted for, and I think that that really could push and promote margins um, as people pay more attention to it. Also, it's just stupid cheap. Well, maybe it's cheap for a reason. Well, six times? What are you gonna do, go bankrupt from there? <laughs> I'm, I'm not suggesting that. But I mean, if travel's been so great, if all the seats are full, and if fuel prices are down like they are, why is it down 50% year to date? Well, I think there was a lot of overhang over the spirit merger, and people really hated that. I think there's a lack of belief that the earnings are really coming back. I think that they need to actually start to deliver, and I think they're delivering um, 60 cents in 23, $1.72 is what's expected in 24. And so we've kind of, we've kind of been beaten up as a society, and, and I think we need to see the numbers actually delivered before we're willing to step up and buy things. You just maybe, you know, the travel and the, leisure. The stock is, uh, the stock yeah, is at ahead, a 20-year low. I'm sorry. This, Are you a buyer? this stock came public in, in it, this stock came public in 2002, April of 02 at like $13 a share. It's half the price of its IPO after two decades. This will never be a good business. But never Josh, be a good there's business. no significance in that. Like you always need to take your starting point as today. So who cares that it was $13 once upon a time? Just like I don't care that Peloton was $178 once upon a time. You're such a good investor. You're such a good invest. You're such a good investor. I can't I believe you would even have this like on your on your radar. <laughs> Josh, but no, that's seriously. the thing. Like it's not okay. And historically, we haven't bought airlines. But sometimes the math is just there. Right, and the math is just here. Which is, this, is, it. is this for the appetizer? I mean, the, with the, <laughs> what do you start with if you're having a burger? I don't like know. the side salad, what do you do? You know what I think? I shrimp think, cocktail? I this think Josh is cocktail. trying to get me to treat him to a trip to Disney World. Shrimp cocktail. They do have a good <laughs> shrimp cocktail there. Shrimp cocktail, then the cheeseburger. That's on the table. I just What's added that. What's your target? I can do What's that. your That's price target ruling. on on JetBlue? Real quick, and I got Where do you think it's going? 15, 16. I think it could easily be 15, 16 in a couple years. And when it moves, okay. and we all know this, when these move, they move so fast that you've missed the boat if you're not early. That's I true. don't want to wait that long for this lunch. I I'm do. coming. All right, final <laughs> trade, you're next. On what now for this nasty market? Cantor's Eric Johnston, same topic. Eric Jackson on why he's been buying more Tesla, which has gotten absolutely ripped. Adobe earnings, too. So we got a lot to get through. Uh, we're going to focus some on tech, too, which is getting crushed today. Uh, let's do final trades. Josh, what do you got first? Uh, ITA, we were talking about individual defense stocks. This is the whole index, and I think this trade continues to work into next year. Okay. Jason Snipe. CMS Energy Core beaten raise in last quarter, close to a 3% yield, above peer EPS growth. I like it here. Yeah, I mean, I mentioned tech. I'm looking at NVIDIA hammered, Google uh, hammered, AMAT hammered, NVIDIA, LAM Research. Uh, it goes on and on and on. Meta, we'll try and get to some of that later today, too. What's your final trade, Bill Baruch? Westinghouse Airbrake, Wab Tech, symbol WAB. They uh, sell technology-based equipment in the freight. Uh, okay. Highest slow, it's trading up in 2018 highs right now, so it's, it's moving quick. What do you got? Matt, 8% yield, huge economic recession proof. I'll see you all in OT. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. 
Unlock the energy when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.